the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the offshore sector. Today, we've got a very interesting guest on with us. We have Sean Curley, Vice President of Power Advocates, North American Oil & Gas Team. We're going to be talking about value creation, enterprise value. We're going to look at cost controls and, and optimization and many different topics that I think you're going to find very interesting for your business as a listener. As always, we want to start by thanking our sponsor. Our sponsor is, from the very beginning, Tidewater. Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry. With over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at tdw.com. Also, I am always interested in hearing what you think as a listener. So any reviews, comments, feedback, anything that you might share, you can go to wherever you receive this content and you can provide that feedback there. It greatly helps us improve also helps us reach a broader audience and helps us keep this information coming out to you guys. All right. So as I said, Sean Curley, we have you here today. Sean, how are you doing? I'm good. Andy, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm fantastic. It's a rainy day here in, in Boston, Massachusetts, but healthy, family's healthy, and hope the same for you and family and for all of your listeners. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think you're first guest calling in from Boston. That's you. You hold a you hold a title now. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm honored. I will hopefully <laughs> represent the New England states well. Although, hopefully, well, I consider myself an honorary Texan in Oklahoma, and given my focus, my focus there and my time spent there. But I'm glad to be the first New Englander on the on the podcast. Yeah, and we were kind of joking beforehand, right? It, you don't really associate Boston with the oil and gas sector, right? So you don't. You gotta. <laughs> no, it's, there's not too many oil wells in Boston, Massachusetts. And in fact, I mean, from a oil and gas activity standpoint, I mean, the, I think the closest thing we have is a lot of natural gas pipeline, perhaps, but not enough of it. It's sort of a funny story, you know, why, you know, a company like Power Advocate would end up in Boston. I think ultimately it's that we're a data company at the end of the day, I suppose. And there's a lot of really smart data scientists that live in Boston with MIT right down the street, Harvard, of course, and a lot of intellectual horsepower here that we're able to hopefully deliver to customers wherever they may be located. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is is why why there, but that makes a lot of sense. That's a good explanation. We had Cyberhawk on, who was another guest mm. a few episodes back, and they're a drone inspection company. And I know he's looking for Colorado. And I was like, how did you end up in Colorado? And he's like, oh, well, it's, it's good drone places. <laughs> you know, it's, there's, it's good good drone pilots. Good, Yeah, you know, certainly a lot of sky customers. to work with, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was another company for Colorado too. The LIDAR, not LIDAR, the laser scanning company. They, cause they, they do a bunch of stuff in Colorado too. You just never know how some of these companies end up where they end up. So 
but it sounds like Boston's working out good for you guys. Yeah, it's working well. I mean, and ultimately, this is not, you know, no, no secret that uh, I think any kind of technology oriented company can be really successful. It's no matter where they're located. The number one thing is making sure you're bringing in good people, making sure your product's market relevant. And there is a component of really being sure to be active with your customers in front of your customers frequently, which is, you know, to for my somewhat lame joke to start an honorary Texan in Oklahoma and love being down in those that part of the country, you know, visiting with, with oil and gas operators, which recently has been harder to do with some of the unfortunate realities that we're, we're managing, but which makes, you know, again, technology is helping us out with WebEx and, and other things. So it is funny, though. I think if COVID's taught us one thing, it's that you can really have a successful business no matter where you are and where your customer is located, so long as you have the right technology in place to serve them well. Yes, I agree completely. I have many companies. I have a, I have a friend that works at BP and, you know, same thing. He said the exact same thing. I just happened to talk to him earlier today. He's like, yeah, they nobody ever thought that we could do all of what we do from home and we're making it happen. <laughs> you know, right, so, right, exactly. I mean, it affected everybody. And I think everybody, for the most part, has kind of come to that same realization that, wow, we can kind of make this work. This is doing good. If not, some things are going better. I know for my day job, my day-to-day life, some things we do a lot better like this. You know, we don't have the distractions of water cooler talk and, you know, all kinds of other things that that enter the daily lives in the office. But Right, exactly. And I mean, I'll, I'll just give you a, like maybe a good example of that, Andy. I'm trying to think back to a time when pre-COVID, when, you know, sort of travel was the norm and, you know, visiting with customers, the amount of time I would spend in, you know, in transit versus the amount of time I'm, I'm able to sort of, you know, be in one spot thinking critically and, you know, kind of doing my day job as it were, it's made me a lot more productive in a lot of ways. I'm sure the same is true for, for a lot of folks, a lot of listeners. And it's been a blessing too. I mean, I'm spending more time with wife and, and family. And so that, that part, certainly no complaints. I think we'll look back on this year and have a lot of fond memories. Yeah, I agree. I have very similar feelings on a lot of things. So, and in fact, I even, I was a full-time traveling employee for the most part up until about the start of this year. So I went from like full-time Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday travel to like no travel. And I haven't left, right. I haven't left the city in <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> right. long it's like, I went from Southwest companion pass top tier to nothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, I know. I'm really hoping that my, my airline keeps my status, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. Well, all good stuff. Good stuff. Good getting to know you there a little bit. Now, Sean, so big thing we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk on a lot of subtopics, but really at the core, we're, we're going to be looking at value creation for an enterprise and in the multitude of ways that you guys are coming at and attacking that. And really, that starts with a focus on data, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you introed it well in terms of how, how we think about data applications in business. So maybe just as a brief primer about sort of my sort of role and company and how we sort of fit into the oil and gas landscape. So Power Advocate, as you noted, I head up the oil and gas team there. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is solve customer challenges using data and technology in innovative ways. And a lot of it's focused on how do we think about costs in the right way. A lot's changed in the last six to eight months I think if you zoom out even more the last three years in, in industry, it's it's really been a ever-increasing complex optimization problem for how you can optimize enterprise value. And we're kind of working, firing on all cylinders and figuring out how to extract information and extract insight from the data that we're able to 
have been able to accumulate over over 20 years working with firms back to customers so they can make better decisions. Yeah, I live in kind of a similar space. I'm just handling like the logistics and supply chain management for for the company I work with. But it makes so much sense to me that when you, you say ever evolving and growing, I mean, whether it's new data that's just being created at, a, at an ever quicker, you know, faster pace, you know, it's everything's more digital and you're creating more data. But also as you develop something, you then get in and you go, oh man, it would be really cool if we could see this, right? And then from there you go, oh, I could see this. And it, and and you create something, you know, a report or a tool or something and you go, oh, if it only did this, you know, and you kind of keep growing on top of it and, and getting better and better and, and, and building layers. And so now the data... And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this, you know, to different degrees, but you're booking at both data that is from the company that is your customer, right? That's like customer origin data, but you're also looking at the application of kind of industry data as a, as a, as a resource for you and an asset that you can provide to your customers as well. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, so the simple lay of the land, I suppose, is that binary view. There's, of course, there's a variety of kind of ways that we serve our customers. But at the end of the day, it's really two, two core pieces. One, we solve challenges around consuming and interpreting data that the company itself, the enterprise, is, is producing. And I'll talk about why that's really more, why that's harder than it sounds in a second. The second is insights outside of your four walls, particularly around market, but across a variety of other drivers as well, that is going to impact the efficiency with which your enterprise is performing, whether it be on cost efficiency, which again, is like, like I said, is a, a core focus of ours, but increasingly so on a variety of other metrics, including things like risk and you know maintaining a high quality ESG or supplier diversity program or other key metrics that investors and stakeholders are increasingly viewing as sort of table stakes for, for energy companies, providing that outside view so that you know companies can improve their internal performance. To circle back on my comment around the internal data piece, that's sort of step one though for a lot of companies. And, and it's sort of a bit of a, it feels a bit like an oxymoron, you know, com- oil and gas companies in particular produce more data than really almost any other company in the world. There's, there's just so much valuable insight that can be derived from the data that's being collected operationally, commercially, via the commodities markets, et cetera, tying it all together and making sense of it all is really challenging. The trickier part still is the information that's being collected is very rarely in a state that's consumable by folks in the enterprise. It requires sort of a, a steady hand and, and, and from our perspective, a sort of a data science approach to get to a point where the data is actually useful and meaningful. And, that, and that's sort of a core sort of competency and a core thing that we focus on with our customers is you know, taking data that's not usable, cleansing it, leveraging data assets that, that we're able to deploy in a unique way and delivering it back to customers so that they can make better decisions, they can understand better their operational performance. And in some ways, ideally, the feedback loop is improve the quality of their data internally such that there is a real capability around data management and analysis within, you know, within the four walls of the operation. Okay. No, I got you. So where, what are some of the things that drive that complexity in kind of the data ingestion process, right? Like when you're trying to consume that and I mean, it's the wrong file format, it's the wrong 
I mean, it can be as simple as the labels are slightly different. And <laughs> right, right. So what are some of those hurdles that a lot of people are probably facing today, and they're just racking their brain on how to how to get over that? Yeah. Well, so I'll, maybe I'll give you a really specific example and. And I think again, you know, I'll, I'll say it. You know, I think it'll sound really simple, but imagine multiplying it across the full scale of the enterprise, and you can see why it can be a real problem. You know, imagine for a moment two different business units, you know, within the same enterprise, decentralized, so the business units are more or less operating independently, and both business units are working with a very similar set of companies. Um, so naturally, they're made, you know, whether it be an OFS or you know, perhaps more of a kind of a corporate corporate service provider. There's likely to be some amount of supplier overlap. Because those two business units are operating independently, they very well may have their own ERP systems, or perhaps they have their own invoicing invoicing infrastructure. Or even if those two things are the same, surely they have two different individuals responsible for managing those systems or entering data into those systems. And the result of that is, even though the two business units may be working with the same supplier and buying the same exact thing, the way the information is recorded and flows through the enterprise will look two very different ways. So if I'm a you know an enterprise and I'm you know in headquarters and trying to understand how can I improve my business performance by you know fostering better relationships with my third party vendors, I would have a very hard time understanding the joint capability of a supplier if they're being recorded in two different ways by my two different business units. Now multiply that by the thousands and thousands of suppliers and the thousands and thousands of transactions and categories of, of costs that an oil and gas operation are, are undertaking, it becomes a very big problem fast. And because the problem is so universal and because the scale of the data is so large, it really it, it can be challenging for a company to manage independently, particularly when all they have as a reference point is their own data. So it's a kind of the classic, you know, how can we clean data that's ours that doesn't have a clean reference point? I think that's, you know, you know, one specific, very, very specific example, but again, kind of multiply that across all of the different varieties of data that oil and gas companies are collecting, whether it be on suppliers or on specific invoices or transactions on the operations side, data that's being collected in the course of DNC activity, operations, production. It becomes a big, big, big task to make all those data assets speak to each other, surely. But again, step one is to independently for the, the data assets to actually align in such a way as to make sense for an operator to take action on to, to improve performance. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's a good, good example. And I think that should be clear to the listener. So how hard is that process for you guys if we're a new customer and and we're trying to roll this out. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, if I already know the tribal knowledge that's kind of making my data dirty, if that's the right way to say that, you know, I, like I look at it and go, oh, well, that just means that. And that just means that. And, you know, Jim Blow is John Doe over here, you know, and it's hard to see that. But how much does that become the main lift for you guys as a service provider to your customer? So it's a really interesting question, Andy. So the, the lift is not so big. And primarily because of the R approach. So the lift internally, and you, you referenced tribal knowledge, can feel manageable, particularly when an individual is looking for a very specific piece of information. They, they understand, well, if I click this, this, and this, and go that way, then I can find the thing that I'm looking for. Certainly not an enterprise solution, and certainly not an approach that enterprises should deem as sort of 
the acceptable, if you will, or perhaps the best in class or standardized of how they should want to think about their data. The way we think about that problem is really twofold. One is getting the data challenge solved up front and quickly. So a lot of people use the term data lake and are familiar with cleanse the data lake, right? Let's get data in a spot where it is immediately valuable and usable for people who need it and get them access to that information in such a way as to be immediately aligned to how they think about their world. So part of that is including a lot of metadata resources, including things like you know appropriate categorization, supplier family information, and in some instances, market data and benchmarks and the like. So that's sort of step one. Step two is, you know, the data train doesn't stop there. You know, information is constantly being produced and more and more information is being produced by companies on a daily basis. And the next day is always going to have more data than the, the previous day because we're getting better at collecting data. So it's sort of an ongoing river of data that needs to be cleansed as well. And that's sort of step two of our approach is putting in place a, a process by which we take care of the river. From the customer's perspective, it's fairly seamless because the approach again is comparing data against a reference point, a reference point of cleansed, pre-cleansed, power advocate, fact-based data, which there's around $6 trillion of of information to compare and cleanse the customer data to. It allows the analyst, the practitioner to only see good quality information and for all all of the hard stuff to kind of happen behind the curtains such that they're making decisions only with the best information in front of them and not having to worry about having the necessary tribal knowledge to not make a mistake and finding what information they're looking for. Okay, perfect. No, that makes a lot of sense. So let's take just that pointing and carry it through to we've cleansed the data, we've got the data river, as you phrased it, which is, is great. We've got that coming into some kind of business intelligence tool or some kind of system to actually use that data. How does Power Advocate kind of attack that side of the equation? Yeah, so the, I mean, it's a great point, And ultimately, it's where we need to get to, because that's where we drive value. And that's where customers drive value. Clean data is only a nice to have unless you're actually doing something with it and, and running business right. analytics against the information to drive tangible, meaningful insight that leads to enterprise value and savings, etc. I think from a value add standpoint, there's really, well, there's a variety of dimensions that we tend to think about how folks and firms can drive value from clean data. A primary thrust is around cost management and and thinking about how to manage your third-party spend in a more effective and efficient manner. It's a big question and an impossible question to answer as to how you can save money when you don't necessarily where your dollars are flowing. So that's step one. Again, let's answer that question accurately. You know, how are we spending our money? Step one. Step two is where do we have opportunities to increase our leverage with a supplier or perhaps increase our leverage with a particular category or spend our dollars more efficiently in a particular part of our business. And that's where, from a data analytics standpoint, Power Advocate builds technology and automation tools to lend insight to practitioners such that they have that immediate insight available to them on their desktop. You know, perhaps an example I'll point to, and and one that's come up quite frequently this year, is being able to understand where there is an opportunity to align costs across varying business units within an enterprise. Coming back to the original example I said a moment ago, you know, business unit one is spending, you know, X dollars per unit on a particular piece of equipment. Business unit two is spending Y dollars per unit on a particular piece of equipment. Just aligning that and understanding where that problem is happening across your enterprise 
immediate tangible savings that can be delivered by by the person holding that insight. So getting to that point is really what cleaning data is all about and, and, and sort of the point of the process. But of course, it, it goes beyond just you know your own internal performance. And this is where oftentimes for, for a lot of operators, marrying the internal view of our costs against the marketplace is really, really important. And maybe this other leg of the stool, if you will, for how operators bring insight to action and being able to compare their performance to the marketplace via external market views, benchmarks, market data, should cost analysis, risk profiling suppliers, so that they have a, a more holistic view of the risk profile of their, of their supply chain, of their, of their cost stack, that of course they can begin to make you know, informed decisions around how they can manage more effectively. And what you're getting at there is where you're using that, what did you call it? Fact pool? What, what was the, you had a, you had a good name, like all the data that you guys have collected over, over your 20 years in the industry. Yeah. Our, our fact base. Yeah. Fact so they, base. Okay. Exactly. So it's key to everything we do and it serves as a, a fact base for the insights we're able to del- deliver to operators both again, from a data cleansing standpoint, because it's really important to have that reference point to get your data right. You have to have something to compare it to that's accurate. And then from a third-party view, you know, outside my four walls, how are we performing? How do we compare from a costing standpoint on you know, everything from well stem to you know, ball valves against the marketplace? And that, that's where, again, we're power advocates able to derive insight from our fact base to provide operators with the intelligence they need to understand well, am I underpaying or overpaying? Did I negotiate a big enough price discount with my supplier to, you know, following the, the oil price crash earlier this year, or did I not? So quick insight into that, those types of questions is, is where the external market view delivered through you know, our technology is really, really important for customers. And to your point, our fact base is really kind of what, what drives a lot of that insight. Yeah, that's a huge asset that's really setting power advocate of part from some other people in the space. I mean, I've talked to several different companies. I mean, there's a lot of people looking at how to leverage data and drive better business decisions by using that data. But that external fact base is is something special, right? So how else does that come into play? I mean, of course, cost comparisons and you know, it kind of just sets a benchmark. Like with, if you go out to bid, you kind of have this veil, you know, over everything and you just have to go with your gut decision that, yeah, I think that's a good deal. And now here you guys, you can come in and say, you know, nope, this was a good deal right here. This <laughs> this was a real right, good deal. Right. And do you ever find frustration from companies when you when you basically show them that, that maybe they, you know, they got hosed? Like... <laughs> Like how does, how does that conversation go yeah, go well, down? Well, certainly not frustration. Maybe opportunity is a better a better word. I mean, it's certainly the case though that it can't be. It just can't be that everyone in the market is the low cost producer, right? If we're thinking about EMP or you know in the midstream space, the lowest cost, you know, lowest cost from a, a delivery standpoint, it just can't be. So there needs to be differentiation in terms of costing. And the question is, you know, if you're the operator, how important is it to you that you are getting the best deal you can possibly get? And when we partner with operators and we see an opportunity to improve that performance, it's really, really exciting because there's just tremendous value opportunity that can be derived when you when you simply understand, you know, where where do I compare against the marketplace and am I doing well enough compared to what the market's done? 
so I think it's, you know, I certainly wouldn't call it a frustration. I, I, I tend to view it as more, you know, a really great opportunity to partner with, with a company to help them understand their own cost performance in a way that would not otherwise have been possible had they only been focused on what was happening inside their four walls. And at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of the, the strategies to deploy are, they can be really simple. They can be as simple as understanding the, the, the right way to negotiate a rate um, or contract based on a savvy interpretation of market drivers for a particular commodity. It could be as simple as developing that plan. Of course, there's the more complex approaches, you know, as perhaps it's a self-sourcing strategy where there really needs to be a, a refined analysis around total cost of ownership and trade-offs, which data can obviously be helpful with, you know, other kind of advanced strategies around, you know, forecasting and providing a point of view to finance and operations as to how your cost structure will impact the PL on a go forward basis, particularly important now. And when we're thinking about, you know, lower for longer oil prices and a lot of uncertainty around the market, having a lot of surety in terms of what your costs are going to be as, as, a, as a premium. So maybe to summarize back to your original question, Andy, it's certainly not frustration. I think a lot of opportunity and excitement when we, we find those opportunities. And then of course, the thing that really gets us Excited is when we have an opportunity to work with partners to go out and capture those savings and helping them build plans and capabilities that enable them to sustain savings over the long term. Yeah. No, I, I'm following you really. Yeah, that makes that works a lot better than frustrations. Yeah. <laughs> so we've touched on a lot about just, you know, kind of more focused on the cost control. But I know earlier on you referenced like process optimization and maybe some other areas outside of cost control where this data leveraging is benefiting your customers. Why don't we talk about a couple of those examples? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's really, really interesting, Andy. I mean, and, you know, circling back, data is sort of, is table stakes <laughs> for, for making good business decisions. And because Power Advocate, at the end of the day, we really think of ourselves as, as being providers of data to energy firms. We have a, you know, a strong legacy and core around cost data but there's just a lot of really compelling and interesting examples of operators really searching for more information and in new and complicated ways that we are increasingly getting more and more involved with and, and have been excited to deploy, again, that fact base in, in new and different ways, and particularly around things, issues of increasing importance among stakeholders like ESG, greenhouse gas emissions, and you know, supplier diversity. How is our operation performing on those metrics. Certainly not a dollars and cents cost question, but certainly has enterprise value implications when you think about the investment decisions made by hedge funds and public investors, et cetera. Having a really compelling and strong ESG program is becoming more and more critical for, for oil and gas firms in particular. And it's, it's a hard question. I mean, how, how, do, how do we think about our greenhouse gas emissions? Of course, we can measure you know, things that are happening within our operational footprint, but what about our downstream impact? What about our supply chain? How do we measure our, our ability to support local and diverse suppliers? Again, a really complicated question, particularly when a lot of diverse suppliers tend to be smaller and, and harder to track and per perhaps may not be on your radar because you don't have the data tools to understand who that, who that supplier is. So again, I mean, it's, a, it's a really good example of where just having a, a tremendous wealth of, of data through our fact base to provide operators insight accurately and quickly on those types of metrics has been really interesting for us, an increasing area of focus for a lot of our customers. And I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on this right now. 
ESG stands for yeah, ethics. In, in, in environmental, social, and governance. So really the, the yeah, that's it. Okay, I like to think of it as you know really all of the things that make a good business actor, and oftentimes it includes those those three categories. But I mean, every operator thinks about it a little bit differently. Every investor, you know, may, may or may not have different categorizations that go into the, those buckets. But being a good business actor is just really, really important for a lot of investors these days, clearly. And we've really been excited about helping operators kind of improve in that realm and identifying ways that we can deliver data that helps them improve in those respects. Yeah. And that's, that's actually, yeah, that, that's, that is a growing topic. And I don't know why I drew a blank on the, <laughs> the name there. I know it's something that's... <laughs> well, there's so many acronyms it feels like these days. It's hard yeah. to keep track of them all. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So, I mean, we've touched on, on many different things, many different avenues, cost control and, and just the, the ESG avenue and, and many different things. Really, a lot of these things are driving business resiliency, right? Like, so you're not only just looking for, are we doing okay today, but what are we doing what's going to keep us healthy tomorrow, right? Exactly. I mean, that, that's a great a great expression, business resilience. Couldn't have said it better myself. It's 100% sort of a focus in everything that we do. Delivering information and, and creating capability that enables operators to be resilient in their operations is, is, a, good, is a good true north for, for everything that we, we try to deliver to our customers and I think do deliver to our customers. So what is kind of next? What's on the horizon for either Power Advocate or... Maybe what's, you know, maybe let's start, start there. Like, Kona, what do you guys see where this is going today and everything that you do? Yeah, it comes back to an evolving, well, evolving is maybe the wrong word because things are always evolving, but a trend in, in energy, it's well captured, I think, by themes around energy transition, but it, it may be even bigger than that, where capital is increasingly competitive. There's an increasing influence from stakeholders who are concerned with more than just dollars and cents outcomes. And specifically what I mean by that is like ESG outcomes and, right. and building sustainable business programs that are aligned to you know new norms around ESG. On top of that, there is a increasingly complex macroeconomic and geopolitical environment where we find ourselves in it. And it's to be successful in this environment, it really requires a sophisticated view of how all of the different parts, all of the upstream parts of the economy, if you will, I mean, in some respect, is impacting your business. And because of that, a big focus for us is managing risk effectively. And risk can take on a variety of different dimensions for oil and gas operators. But for us, a, a key area of focus in, in not so much even on the horizon, but really on our doorstep is delivering to operators better insight and concise insight around how they should think about their risk profile and how they can manage it more effectively. Again, with a focus on what you're doing with inside your four walls and what the market's doing so that you have a point of view of your risk profile in relation to you know the broader market. Okay. How about... Say I'm a new customer coming to Power Advocate. What is that startup and initial deployment process kind of look like? Where do you start? And also, who are the companies that maybe should be looking to reach out to Power Advocate and where there might be a good relationship to start there? Yeah, well, maybe I'll answer the, the second question first and say, you know, really any organization that is interested in 
either understanding and reporting on their business performance, particularly around cost and risk, and more importantly, any organization looking to improve on those dimensions would be a good would be a good partner for us because that's ultimately what our tools and data do. No do you, size limitations, or you know, like you're not you can kind of work with with anybody, right? Yeah, yeah, precisely. I mean, I think the within the oil and gas space, we tend to work with operators sort of across the spectrum. So it, it really it really is not a size limitation so long as there is a, a capability around an ability to consume information would make a good partner for us. The first question, you know, I, I think was around what does it take to get started and, and how do we get, begin working with customers? Right. I think it's three steps, you know, and I think there is as follows. One is let's get your data right. Number two is let's get your data aligned with the market so that we can do some comparisons to see where there's opportunity. And three, let's keep doing it so that you don't lose track of where you are. And that's and that's sort of it. And it's it's really not it's not more complicated from a, a startup perspective. And ideally for the customer, it, it truly does feel that easy. Of course, from Power Advocate side, we're we're doing a lot of a lot of great data science work to execute on kind of that promise. But from again from the customer's point of view, I think it's just those three things. Awesome. No, I think that's really good. We've touched on a lot of different topics. Of course, we could probably dive much deeper into each one of them, but I think we got a lot of information out to the listener and we also learned a lot about Power Advocate. Is there anything that you wanted to get, you know, to cover that that we didn't capture yet? I don't think so. Yeah, and thanks again Andy for having me. I think I, I agree. We covered a lot of good a lot of good topics and hopefully it was a enjoyable conversation for you. I know it was for me. Yeah, absolutely. No, no it it's really, really interesting material for me. Like I said, I, I kind of live in a similar space. And for where I live, I just, I wish I had like that, that fact base to go off of, you know, we, we don't always have the data there to make those educated guesses. And it's just an incredible asset to have at your, your disposal. So hopefully some people will latch onto that. No, it's a good point, Andy. And we're excited that we have a capability that enables good insight for customers and you know, hopefully we'll have lots of good opportunities to continue to do that for for folks going forward as well, whether it be, again, on the cost side, on the risk side, or any of the other dimensions of, of data challenge and information that the customers need our help with. So, and, and yeah, I wanted to thank you again for, for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It was, it was a fun discussion. I, I hope the listeners enjoyed it, as did I. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Everybody listening, of course, thank you for listening to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. If you could leave a like or comment or review wherever you receive this content, it greatly we greatly appreciate it, and it helps us improve and grow. And we will catch you on the next episode. Here are our events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm going to list off are all online, so to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the OilCom Conference and Exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. 
First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.